good morning. Man, that's actually kind of hard to follow. <clears throat> I put that, that trailer together for the staff to have a little time to get out here. Uh, but it's like so serious and um, <clears throat> so intense that it's kind of hard to follow. So anyway, I'm just going to jump in anyway this morning. I'm really glad that you're here. And if you picked today to be here for the first time at Crown Point, or maybe uh, you're a little bit newer to the church and you're here and I've never been the one to bring the word when you were here, let me just tell you, it gets better, okay? So come back next week, give us another try. I promise this is not the best we have to offer, but every great once in a while, the stars align in such a way and there's no other options. So this morning, I'm so glad to be with you. Um, Hey, this has been an awesome series, like Pastor Jeremy said, and I do want to kind of add my two cents to this, that um, I've had the chance throughout the last uh, several weeks, it's it's actually been a couple months now for me as we've been recording and and planning this series, um, I've had the chance to sit with a lot of different folks. I've heard every one of these stories and many more stories that we haven't even heard in service yet. And my faith, just like Pastor Jeremy said a moment ago, my faith has been strengthened through this process There's something amazing about sitting with people, hearing their story, um, hearing about God's grace in in certain cases, hearing about God's faithfulness. But no matter what it is, it's incredible for me to sit and just to listen to people share their passion for the Lord or or different encounters that they've had with him. And so anyway, I just want to thank those of you who have taken the time to record your story. Um, but, but the other thing that I want to mention is this, just like that trailer said, you've seen this several weeks and maybe at this point it's just kind of, um, going over our heads, but, but it's true that every person has a story. I'm convinced of that more now than I was when we started this. Every single one of us in this room has a story. You have a story to share. You have a story to tell. If you're alive and you've been living here on this earth for a while, Jesus has given you a story. And every story is unique. There's not one story in this room that would be exactly like another. We've heard stories about relationships being restored. We've heard stories about um, people being healed. Or I'm I'm sorry, we're getting ready to hear stories about healings next week. Uh, We've heard stories about people finding connection, people um, finding their purpose, their identity in the Lord. Um, Today is going to be another amazing story. And so um, I'm convinced once again that every story is unique, but every story has a purpose. So I want to encourage you. Um, If you haven't shared your story yet, please give me just a couple of minutes to sit with you, Um, and I would love to record your story. Um, If, Like I said, if if you're here this morning, you have a story to tell, so please consider doing that. Um, Today is actually right after service is going to be the last day that I'm going to record out in the lobby, but at any point, you can always contact me and say, hey, I actually have a Jesus story I'd like to share. So the purpose of that as we move forward, um, again, we've, we've got a lot of different stories that we won't be able to share with you in, in service, um, but we are going to share all of those stories online. There's going to be, in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll let you know when it officially launches, but there's going to be a tab on our website. You can go, and you can access all of these stories, and so there's going to be story after story that you can go and sit and listen to, and I promise your faith will be strengthened as you listen to these stories. Um, 
And then in the future, we're, gonna, we're just going to continue to use these as, as um, wherever it's applicable and things like that. So again, if you have something that's on your heart, please let me know. If it's not, obviously, this afternoon, I would love to get with you at some point and um, help you record that and share your story. And if you're just too chicken to do that, which I totally understand, um, I, I, I really do get that. I don't like being in front of the camera or on stage at all. It's totally my personality to sit back. I love editing the videos and putting all that stuff together, but I understand that's not everybody. Um, so maybe share it on the banner out there if that's more your style. Um, but, but either way, don't sit on what God has done in your life. Don't, don't hide it under a bush as we sang when we were kids. Um, so anyway, this morning, as I said, we've all got a story. Every story is unique, and we're going to look at, at one of the most famous Jesus stories in all of scripture. Um, <clears throat> and then after we look at that story, we're going to look at a story from somebody here in the congregation that's very similar in a lot of ways to this story. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. And um, the text, it's really interesting. It starts out, meanwhile, in Acts chapter 9, the first verse, which the word meanwhile tells us right up front, something else is going on or something has happened and, and we need to kind of be aware of that before we actually jump into this text. So um, when we get started this morning, I, I'm just going to tell you right up front, I'm going to start and stop a lot with this text. And so you're going to see um, stuff flashing up and on, uh, on the screen quite a bit. And I apologize if, if you are the kind of person who likes to read through a long passage. That's not what it's gonna hap- how it's going to happen this morning. We're going to start and stop a lot. We're going to tear apart this story quite a bit um, because it's important for us to really get what the Scripture is telling us today. So Acts chapter 9 starts out, meanwhile, which means we need to know what has happened up to this point. So we're going to get on the same page together before we actually jump into the rest of this. And I have written out a little summary of the book of Acts that I want to read to you this morning, um, just to make sure that we are all up to date with where we're headed. So after the ascension of Jesus Christ, the apostles began spreading the news about Jesus, and the church was rapidly expanding. Of course, like most anything else, and I'm sure you've experienced this in your life, when there's success, when there's growth, when there's positive change, what happens? There's problems, there's pushback, there's resistance. Anytime you face some sort of success or victory in your life, I promise you, you will face some sort of trial as a result on the other side of it. People will criticize, people will tear you down, people will judge you. It's just the way it goes in life. So the church was no different. There was pushback immediately to this growth. The apostles and anyone else who was following Jesus came under heavy persecution Jewish official, officials began organizing their efforts to stamp out this movement and became more aggressive and more violent in their attempts. Leaders began to emerge on both sides. So you had, you had Christ followers and you also had Jewish individuals who were trying to stop this whole thing. They both had leaders. In Acts chapter 7, we read about the murder of Stephen, who was stoned to death. Talk about a terrible way to go. Stephen was stoned for, for preaching Jesus He was killed, and this particular event caused a lot of disruption in the process. It caused the Christ followers who were located right there in Jerusalem to begin to flee. And so they they scattered. They literally ran for their lives at this point. And um, people people who were were, uh, 
leaders in, in the, the, the Christian movement, which that word had not yet been moved, had used yet. They were actually called the way. People on that side uh, were raising up and becoming um, better leaders and becoming more well-known. But also on the other side, you had movement, uh, um, leaders who were also becoming well-known. One of those people who was present at the execution of Stephen was named Saul. Saul was, was somebody who was being raised up as, as one of the influencers in the Jewish community. And Saul was a bad dude. He was bad in every sense of the word. He was bad in that he was pretty, uh, pretty violent. He was, he was um, the kind of guy that you did not want to tangle with. But he was also bad, like he was doing bad things to the Christ followers at the time. So Saul, in, in Acts chapter 8, it begins to describe these trips that he was taking because, again, remember, people were scattered at this point. He be- they begin to describe these trips that he was going from town to town and he was destroying the church, dragging men and women from their homes and throwing them in prison. And of course, we know based on everything we've read so far, this isn't just like figurative language. He wasn't just uh, figuratively destroying the church. He was literally destroying the church, dragging people to prison and throwing them behind bars, locking them up for following Christ. But somehow, the church continued to thrive as it always does when the church comes under persecution. The message of Jesus continues to, to make its way through and, and the church was expanding. Now we could spend like tons of time talking about way more details that are important in the book of Acts leading up to this point. But here's, here's really what I want you to understand. When we start out in Acts chapter 9 because we're focusing on Saul this morning, I want you to understand, number one, that Saul was a violent man. He was very violent. And sometimes it's easy to read over details in in scripture as if they're just a a kind of a distant tale or something like this. But I want you to put yourself in this place that Saul was dangerous. He was violent. He was destructive. And so this was a time there was tons of hostility and a lot at stake for following Christ. Saul was violent. Saul was well-connected. He was highly educated. He was a second-generation Pharisee. He was a Roman citizen, and he had received the best training, the best of the best, in both secular education and in rabbinic training in the day. So Saul was like the man in every sense. If you were a a Jewish individual, you wanted to be like Saul. You wanted to be with Saul. You used Saul as like your model. That's the guy that you wanted to be with. But for the church, he was a very dangerous figure. So we pick up the text in Acts 9. And I'm going to try my best this morning. I have a, a, um, a history of speaking for a long time. Why are you laughing? It's good. You're supposed to say, preach, go on, just do your thing. Um, but I'm going to try to do my best this morning to get us out of here in a timely manner. So the text says this, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. And I love the, just the language there. He's breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Again, he was a bad dude. He was violent. He was dangerous. He was a terrorist, we might call him in modern day. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found there anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So again, we see that, that Paul, or I'm sorry, Saul at this point, he's not only like on a mission to do this, 
but he's actually given permission by officials to do this. He's commissioned to go and hunt people down, to drag them from their homes, to throw them in prison. It's his job at this point. So it's not like just some little rogue guy going, going AWOL and, and hunting people down. No, this was actually the mission at the time to stamp out this movement. So Paul, it says in, in, uh, in the text as we continue, it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, and one of the things you have to understand, when we're talking about the trip from Jerusalem to Damascus, we're not talking like he was out running errands and it happened to be on his way. This was a 150-mile journey, 150-mile journey. And you got to remember, he didn't like unplug the Tesla because gas prices are too high. He, he, didn't, he didn't hop in his vehicle and make his way, you know, like our, our fine arts team did yesterday when they drove to Springfield, which was 150 miles. This was not some easy trip down the road. This was something that he fully intended to do. Some estimates say this was like a week on foot headed in that direction. Now, I, I don't know about you. I, I, mean, I really love our students. I'm proud of them. But you couldn't have paid me yesterday to walk to Springfield to support them. And I'm really sorry about that, guys. I apologize. But I would not walk 150 miles. This was his job. He was on point. He was on task. He was going to get it done. And he was making that trip. So the text says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him. Now, listen, I, one thing you have to know about me, first of all, when I read the Bible, I have to read it in, in character voices. It just becomes way more interesting to me. Um, and I, I would encourage you to do the same. My kids actually hated it. Ellis in particular would always tell me, stop, just read. But to me, it's just way more fascinating if you add voices to it. And I can't even get into, like, my Bible app, obviously, like all of you, it'll read to you, but the, the guy doesn't do the voices. So I was listening to this text earlier this week, and he's like, suddenly a light flashed from around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? And it's like, I mean, really, if, if, if a light flashes and Jesus himself appears this morning, knocks you to the ground in fear and in surprise, don't you think it'd be more like, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I mean, don't you? I mean, really, come on. And I cannot do a shaggy voice from Scooby-Doo, but I, that's exactly what I hear. Can, any, can you hear this with me when he says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> I mean, at this point, he's laying on the ground, shielding himself from this light. And he hears this voice and he's like, who are you? Not, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I mean, that just doesn't work for me. <laughs> if you struggle with reading the Bible, try it sometime. Just get in character, okay? Get in character. So when, when Saul asks this question, he says, who are you, Lord? 
There's debate over this word Lord here. Um, Some translations will put a capital L at the beginning of Lord. Others, there's a lowercase L. And basically all that means, some people think that Saul actually knew who he was speaking to. And so the word Lord there would mean Lord as in Lord Jesus Christ, like he's speaking to God. Where other translations are like, no, it's actually the way we interpret it is that he's just being polite and saying, who are you, sir? Like lowercase L for the word Lord. Nonetheless, whatever translation you're reading, don't get sidetracked on that. It really is more the fact that Saul is just like, who are you? He has no clue who he is encountering in this moment. So we go, the, the voice goes on, which we know, of course, is Jesus. And he says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And the interesting thing is, of course, at this point, we know that Jesus has already ascended to heaven, has been there. Saul... You know, he wasn't going after Jesus personally in the flesh, right? He was going after the Philips and, and, and um, the, the Peters and Pauls and Marys, all these individuals. Um, he was following the Christ followers of the day. But Jesus comes to him and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He makes it personal. He says, you're coming after me. You come after my people. You come after me. You come after my church. You come after me. And I think that it goes to say that even today in our culture now, when you come against the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus takes that personally. I mean, our church these days is under so much persecution. And and I'm not talking like, the kind that we deal with here in the States where you say the wrong thing and people cancel you online. I'm talking like real persecution, people being murdered and executed for their faith, actual persecution. And I think that it goes to to reason today that when you come against the Lord's people, you come against Jesus himself. He tells Paul, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. He makes it so personal here. Then he says in verse six, he says, now get up, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Verse seven says this, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Can you imagine that moment with those guys? Paul, of course, we we, we know, we we hear that, that he sees Jesus, or he sees this light and he hears this voice, but for the rest of them, they're standing there. I'm sure that they are scared to death as well. They don't see anything, but they hear everything that's taking place. We don't read as we continue in this text in a moment, we don't read anything about these other guys, but somehow I have a feeling that Saul's life was not the only one changed through this encounter. Amen. I bet there was a whole slew of guys that had needed to go change when they were done with this encounter. Thankfully, they had robes. It may not be exactly the same. I don't know. I don't know how that worked. But it says they were speechless. Can you imagine? I I, I cannot imagine what I would do in this scenario. So verse 8 says, This Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he led them, they led him by the hand to Damascus. And for three days, he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. Why? Because Saul encountered Jesus. 
An encounter with Jesus will change your life. I'm not sure what encounters you've had with the Lord. But I'll say it this way, that if you are encountering the Lord this morning, if you have an impression that that Jesus is speaking to you, maybe sometime throughout this week, you've had an encounter. Maybe one of these Jesus stories that we've shared over the last few weeks has been an encounter for you. And I'll say it again, that an encounter with Jesus will change your life. But the rest of this text is kind of key as to how that plays out. So I'll continue, and and at this point, the story kind of begins to change, and this is actually my favorite part. Things are a little heavy up to this point. We, you know, we read about Saul being this violent guy and we read about persecution and this, this confrontation that was miraculous and all this stuff. But in verse 10, it really takes a change. We're introduced to a new character. And in my mind, this is almost like a little bit of comic relief at this point. So verse 10 says this, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The first thing you have to pay attention to is the word disciple. Okay, we're not talking about an apostle. We're not talking about any other kind of church official here. We're talking about disciple, which is basically you and me. So Ananias was a regular guy. Anybody else a regular guy or regular gal in here this morning? That's me. I'm one of the regular ones. Ananias, a disciple of Jesus, was there in Damascus, and the Lord called to him in a vision, said, Ananias. I love this little banter back and forth here. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And it's interesting to note here that, that when Jesus appeals to Saul, Saul says, who are you? Jesus appeals to Ananias, the regular guy. He says, yes, Lord. Like, I know your voice. I was expecting you. He's not asking, who are you? He's not freaked out running to the corner because he knows the Lord. He was waiting. He was expecting. He hears God's voice and he says, yes, Lord. And the text goes on, it says, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask him for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Now, I don't know, we we know that Ananias is a regular guy here. We know that he's just a disciple, nothing special. I don't know much more about him, but I kind of wonder if Ananias... um, had difficulty following directions, if, if maybe he was a little bit slow to respond. I don't know what the deal was. But I'm telling you, I have never in my life received direction from the Lord like this. And I prayed for a lot of direction. I remember years ago when we were um, transitioning here to Crown Point, almost 11 years ago now, man, we prayed and prayed and prayed and asked the Lord for direction and for clarity. And, you know, eventually we got there, but man, we wrestled with God and, and, and not just, you know, career changes or, or anything like that, but maybe you've experienced this in, in, in relationships in your life, in big decisions, whether it's some sort of investment or, or something financial that you needed to do and you beg with the Lord and you're like, Lord, please just give me some direction here. I got to know what is your will, what's your plan, what do you want from me? Often for me, God kind of puts pieces of the puzzle here and here and here, and I kind of have to piece those things together, right? As we seek the Lord for direction and we we trust him for our next steps. But listen to the way it plays out for Ananias. He's like, Ananias, yes, Lord, go to the house of Judas. Okay, 
Got it. I, I, I envision him like sitting here taking notes. Okay, got it. Okay, House of Judas. And where is that at again? Okay, it's on Straight Street. Okay, so House of Judas on Straight Street. Okay, and then what am I? What am, you're going to look for a man from Tarsus. Okay, what's his name? His name's Saul. So you're going to the house of Judas on Straight Street, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Well, what if I get there and there's like two guys there and how will I know which Saul? Well, he's the one that's praying. Okay, got it. So the guy from, yeah, the, the, the guy from uh, well, the, in the house of Judas on Straight Street from Tarsus named Saul, the one that's praying. Okay, I think I got this. Now, in a vision, he's seen a man from, named Ananias. Ananias, okay. Oh, that's me. It's like he's, this whole time, I, I just envisioned him being this goofy guy, seriously. And, and, and then he's like, okay, awesome, yeah. So then what happens? Well, you're going to go and you're going to place your hands on him and you're going to pray and then his sight will be restored. So Ananias is super excited because he's been praying, asking the Lord for direction, asking maybe for a mission, I don't know. And so God appeals to him and he says, here's what you're going to do. And he spells it out very clearly, gets all these directions. But then all of a sudden in, in 13, it's like um, it begins to sink in. And so he said, whoa, wait a second, Lord. I've heard many reports about this man. And all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, it's sinking in. Okay, this is that Saul. This is the one you're sending me to now. I I think I'm getting it. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest. Remember, he had permission to do this. He was on a mission. He's here to arrest all of the individuals who call on your name. So sometimes... I think that we are very much like Ananias where we pray and we ask the Lord for direction and we seek him over and over and over. And then the moment comes when God begins to speak to us. God places something in our hearts. He gives us some sort of mission, some sort of calling on our life. And all of a sudden we're like, whoa, wait a minute, Lord. I know I was like saying I'm available to work here, Or I'm like willing to serve you, but this, are you sure? Like, is this really the mission? Is this really what you want me to do? Isn't it dangerous? Couldn't, couldn't I like lose something in the process? Isn't this going to cost me some money? Isn't this going to cost me some time to follow you? Isn't this going to cost me some relationships in my life to serve you? Sometimes we, we ask God for directions, but we just don't want those directions. And I think that's exactly where Ananias was. All of a sudden, when it begins to sink in, that this could be dangerous. And so you see in verse 15 that the Lord all of a sudden gets firm with him. And he says, go, with an exclamation point there. He says, go. This is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. You see, people like Ananias will often be in our lives. I know we can kind of relate to him, but in some ways, I assume this morning that you can kind of relate to the story of Saul as well. Maybe you're at a point in life when when. You're, you're not following the Lord. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe when he calls to you, you don't even recognize his voice. Or maybe you're doing something that, that 
you know that, that God has called you here and you're still here. Maybe God is trying to nudge you back this direction. Maybe you can identify in a little bit with Saul. And, and, and maybe at some point you're ready to make that change. You're ready to step out and surrender your life to the Lord. But fear begins to set in for you because you realize, wait, if I do this, all the Ananiases who remember who I am, where I'm from, what I've done in life, the things that I've done, the people that I've been with, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just afraid that those people might continue to remember my past. Maybe you're ashamed of where you're at this morning as you're seated here. Your life doesn't look the way you thought it would look at this point. But I'm telling you today, no matter how you walked in this room, that the message that we read, what God says about Saul in this moment is the same message that God is continuing to speak over your life right now today in this room. When he says, this man... You can insert your own name in that, in that sentence this morning. I can say that God is saying of me this morning, you are my chosen instrument. And the way that he goes to Ananias and he says, no, 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 no. Listen, you might be afraid. You might be scared and hesitant to surrender your life to me. But I'm telling you, I know Saul. I know who he is. I know how dangerous this might be for you. I know what he came here to do, but I'm telling you, I chose him. And this morning, God says of each of you, I choose you. Your Jesus story this morning is the instrument that God is using for those around you. He gave you a story for a reason, and it's not to hide it. It's not to sit on, on, on these good things that God has given you and to, to, to tuck them away. God doesn't give his grace just for you. He gives his grace so that you can be built up, you can be strengthened in your faith, and you can be sent out to be his chosen instrument to this world. So just as God is choosing in this moment to flip the story around and to speak to Saul, God is wanting to do the same thing for each of us this morning. Can you hear his voice? Do you recognize his call on your life this morning? Do you recognize the tug in your heart today as the Lord speaks to you? As the text goes on, we see that, that the Lord gives Ananias a little bit of insight in verse 16. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So again, here's, here's what uh, the Lord has done for Ananias in this moment. He says, Saul is my man. Okay, he pointed that out first. He's like, Saul's my man. Here's what I'm going to do with Saul. So he says, I chose him. He's going to be my chosen instrument and I will deal with him. So he's just making it very clear here in verse 16. And then he goes on. And here's our miracle right here in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, which is language in that culture at that time that says Ananias prayed. And, and as he spoke to him, that he already considered him family. Brother Saul, he said. So the guy that he was afraid of, the guy that he did not want to go to, the guy that was killing his friends, killing family, imprisoning people all around him, he goes and he says, Brother Saul, 
He opens his arms to him, just as the church should always open their arms, as you and I should open our arms. When we encounter people who may not be exactly like us, people who may not, may not think and act exactly the way we do, take this example, call them family, welcome them in, as scripture calls us to do. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road where you were coming from has sent me here so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Saul, through the grace of God, is a changed man. And Ananias was obedient to walk out the call of God on his life. Our Jesus story this morning has so many similarities to this story. And I want to tell you up front before we jump into this, the last uh, couple of weeks we've, we've just had really a couple minutes in these stories. This story this morning is a little bit longer. It's about nine minutes long. And I want you to hear all of this. I didn't chop it down because I think that it's, it's incredibly valuable for us right now where we're at to hear these words, this message. And so Barb Kistner's story this morning, um, I think, is going to encourage and strengthen our faith if we can watch that video this morning. Hi, my name is Barbara Kistner, and this is my Jesus story. I grew up um, in a Catholic family, and when I was a teenager, I began to doubt my faith, and I walked away from the church. I didn't believe anymore, and as I grew older, my faith grew farther away from me. As I became a young adult, I became more of an agnostic, and as I became an older adult, I was pretty much atheistic. I had a daughter at the age of 20, and uh, met my husband when I was 28. We married, had a another daughter. Our families grew up. My daughter Elizabeth was married and in the year 2008 she had a child. During her labor she had complications and they had to do an emergency c-section. Um, after the baby was born and she came home her incision started bothering her. She had a lot of pain. Uh, she had some seepage from the incision and she went back to the hospital to have it checked out. They found that she had some infection going on and so they ended up admitting her. The infection grew. She ended up having a um, surgeon come in and they removed some tissue from that incision area. What happened later was that they had to continue removing uh, tissue because it was dying. They never would say what the exact infection was, but we were believing that it was necrotizing fasciitis, which at the time was not well known. We were not happy with what was going on at that hospital, so we had her transferred to another hospital. Um, there they started doing hyperbaric oxygen treatments on her, 
They had um, doctors coming in and doing some massive uh, doses of antibiotics. They were doing um, surgeries on her to remove the tissues. But they were saying that it was so bad they wanted to send her to another hospital for wound care, and that was Kindred Hospital. While she was at Kindred's, my sister and a friend of hers came, and unbeknownst to me at the time, they anointed her with oil. My sister was a real strong Christian, and after that anointing, um, one of the doctors came in to see her. She, um, at the time, was nearly comatose, and he said she needed to be moved back to St. Joseph because she was in very serious condition. So they moved her back to St. Joseph Hospital. She had more surgeries, uh, blood transfusions, hyperbaric oxygen treatments, and um, she was in intensive care and extremely serious condition. She was there for several months, but um, after all of these treatments and surgeries, she was healed and um, was able to go home. I want to say that during that time, she had a lot of people praying for her. I did not believe in prayer, but I was comforted by all of the prayer that was going on. I had people coming to the hospital praying, holding my hands in the prayer circles, and I didn't really know what to think about that prayer, but I did feel the comfort of it. And I was amazed at how many different churches had prayer groups going on for her. So um, that was that was a tremendous feeling. So she was healed, was able to come home and take care of her baby. And um, three years later, she had another little miracle baby that she wasn't supposed to have. But uh, unfortunately, the same thing happened. She had another bout of the necrotizing fasciitis. That was um, unbelievable because they said that would never, she wouldn't have lived through the first one, but to have that happen again was uh, unheard of. This time, it was even worse than the first time. Um, they were just cutting away so much tissue. We, we didn't know what, when it would stop. It was horrific. And every day I would go to the hospital, I would stay with her, I would watch how much they were cutting away and um, just falling into a pit of hopelessness, uh, not having anything to believe in, anywhere to go, anything to look at, but the doctors and they weren't having any luck. One day after one of the surgeries, the main surgeon came out to talk to me and he said, you need to think about taking her to KU Med Center. Um, we can't do anything else for her. You need to put her in the burn unit over there where they can keep her comfortable until she dies. So um, after spending a little time with her after the surgery, I started driving home. I was probably the lowest point I've ever been in my entire life driving to Raymore through the Grandview Triangle and suddenly I felt the Spirit of God over me. Um, God said to me, I am real 
and Elizabeth is going to live. And then I felt over me just this warmth spreading over my head like I liken it to warm syrup flowing over my head. And I continued driving home. I didn't know what to think. I was shocked. I was amazed. I was somewhat afraid, but I didn't tell anybody. I just kept it to myself. Um, next day, I went to the hospital. Doctor did another surgery. Um, he came out after about 15, 20 minutes, came out. I was afraid she died, but he came up to me and he said, I don't know how to explain this, but I did not have to remove any more tissue. It looks like the infection has stopped. And my heart just pounded in my chest. I still didn't know what to think. I thought, oh my gosh. Maybe there really is a God. He said, we'll do another surgery in two more days. Um, we'll look and see what's happened. So two days later, he did another surgery. He said, everything looks great. I just had to do a little bit of cleanup. And at that point, I then knew there really was a God. And um, that's when I told my sister um, that there's a God, there's a God, you know. And she was in such joy because she'd been trying to tell me for years that there was a God, and I just put her off, and I'd say, that's good, that's nice. I'm glad that you believe that. But uh, from that point on, it's it was just miraculous, and I, I just sought out God. It was the most wonderful thing in my life and this was in 2008 and I can't tell you what joy I have in my life to know that Jesus Christ is my Savior uh, I, I'm filled with joy every day I can't believe that he would choose me the life that I've led I, I don't know why he chose me but he chose me And I'm so blessed by it. That's my Jesus story. Aren't you thankful that God can change anyone? such a powerful thing to hear about God's hand in someone's life like that. And again, God can change anyone. There's not one of us here this morning that has done something or not done something or been somewhere and that has disqualified you from God's grace or his reach in your life. The second thing is this, that when God changes people, 
He uses us. He uses stories like this. He uses individuals like Ananias, people who are willing to be used by the Lord, people who are willing like the Rollins to tell their story, to put their junk out there in front of everyone. People like Maddie, people like Ian, people like Johnny, who are willing to say, look, I may not know everything. I may not know why this has happened in your life, but I know this is my Jesus story. So God can change anyone and God will use us in that process. And the third thing I want you to know is this, that our obedience when God calls us whether it's God calling you to be involved in something like Ananias or God is calling you toward change in your life like Saul. That obedience brings life. Those experiences where we have encounters with the Lord bring life. I said earlier that that we would talk a little bit about that, that, that just as Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, that that encounter could change him. The thing is for each one of us in this room today, having an encounter with the Lord is a step toward change. But I'm telling you, it is up to you this morning. The Lord is here to meet with you. The Lord desires nothing more than to speak to you this morning. And it's your decision to listen, to obey, to walk with him, to follow him, to pursue his calling on your life. You have a choice to make this morning. God's never gonna force you. He's never gonna put you in a corner that you don't have an escape from. The Lord is appealing to you this morning but it's your decision where to go from here. God still loves those who don't love him. The Saul's in the world who may not even know his voice. I want you to know God loves you this morning. He's running after you this morning. He desires you this morning. The way he said, I choose you, Saul. He's continuing to choose us this morning and he has a plan for you. If you'd stand with me in this room this morning. I'm gonna invite you forward to pray. And before anyone moves, I'd like to invite our prayer team forward. Those that we've talked with about praying, would you please come? As they're doing that, I wanna be really specific in, in, in who I invite this morning because I want, I want you to respond with some intention today. Maybe like Saul, you're on a dangerous path. You need to surrender your life to the Lord. 
In a moment, I'm gonna invite you, if that's you, you identify with Saul in this story. Maybe you're dealing with guilt and shame in your past and you need freedom from that. So maybe you're not following the Lord for the first time, but maybe you've really kind of lost your way in life and you're struggling with some things and you need freedom from that this morning. I'm gonna invite you in a moment to come and pray for that. And finally, maybe you're here this morning and you're like Ananias. God is calling you to do something. He's tugging at your heart today. He's given you the word. But you just really wish it was something different. You're wrestling with surrendering your life to him, surrendering your plan. Following Jesus will cost you something. I'm telling you that this morning. But it'll make your life better. So our worship team is going to sing, and I'm going to invite you to come forward. If you want prayer for any of these things, we are here to pray with you this morning. But I want to encourage you, As God calls this morning, as he tugs at your heart, don't turn away. This is your opportunity this morning to come forward and pray, be set free, to find life, to get direction. Today, don't pass up this opportunity. Would you come right now? We're not gonna bow our heads. We're not gonna make any kind of magical moment out of it. If that's you this morning and this has spoken to your life, I want you to come forward and we're gonna pray together. The worship team's gonna sing. And right now we're gonna pray and believe together. Can we do that? If you're not responding this morning, you're gonna stay right where you're at. I just want you to begin to worship. Let's raise our hands and just say, God, I'm here. Lord, we're here for you this morning, for your presence, for your direction, for your will in our lives. Come on, join us this morning. Let's sing it out. sing this morning. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Come on, wake, make him welcome in your heart today. Open up to him today as you sing this. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be.
us this morning. God, we thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Let us become. Let us become. Yeah. Let us become more aware. Come on, make this your prayer this morning. Come on, lift your hands. Sing it out to Let the Lord as a prayer today. God, we desire you. We desire your spirit in this place today. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of Make an altar in your heart. Take time today to seek the Lord. I believe that God is working in our lives. He's working in this church through this series. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've experienced. I've heard it from many of you that God is doing something special in your life. And so I want to encourage you to be intentional about your time before you come back here next Sunday, because you will come back here next Sunday, right? Um, I want you to take time this week and seek the Lord. Maybe you have struggled with your prayer life, you've struggled with time in the Word. Just make a step in the right direction. You don't have to be a pro this week and spend two hours every single day in prayer and in Bible study. And It doesn't have to be that way. You just need to make some effort in the right direction this week. I want to challenge you with that. For those of you who still wonder, 
man, should I share my Jesus story? Should I tell people what God's done in my life? You don't have to question that. The answer is yes. We know that God can change people. And when he changes people, he uses us to change them. It's his power. It's his grace that changes them. But often it's our stories, the experiences that we share together in life. So yes, you should share your story. Be obedient to God this week. Walk in faith with him. Walk in relationship with him. Share your story with somebody. And then come back here next week expecting something great. We're going to wrap up this series next Sunday. Pastor Dennis is going to be back. He's going to be talking about physical healing. And we're going to have a time at the end of service where we just believe God together for healing. How many of you know right now you have something that you need a healing from in your body right now as we speak? You know somebody who has something, okay? That's half the room this morning, okay? Next week, we are going to pray. And why am I saying, well, don't come right now? That's not what I'm telling you. I'm saying next week, I want you to show up expecting, show up believing that God can heal. We heard a story this morning about Barb coming to the Lord, but we also heard a story about God healing someone who was given a death sentence, said, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. And just like that, the Lord gave a healing. He can do it and he still does it. And next week we're believing he's gonna do it again. So we want you to be here next Sunday as Pastor Dennis comes and wraps up this series. God will change your life if you let him. So today, when you walk out these doors, I want you to go in the joy of the Lord, knowing that he is a great God. He's for you this morning and that he has a plan for you today. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Jesus loves you. So do I. I hope you have the best week of your life. See you next week.